You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter. So uh, let's start with just a little bit of an introduction, Melissa, uh, just of um, who you are, where you are, and what you uh, currently do. Yes. Melissa Thompson. I am the SVP of Talent Acquisition at Nielsen Media. I've been in this role for a little less than a year, and um, it has been an interesting journey in the year that is 2020. 2020 is more than an interesting year. So yeah. let's just dive dive into that. Thank you. My name's Carmen Hudson, by the way, and uh, I am a, a former member of the uh, colloquium. Uh, I have uh, gone over to the dark side, however, and becoming a vendor, uh, but I still retain just a huge uh, fandom for the colloquium. So um, what I'd love to do since today, we're really just kind of digging into a little bit around Black Lives Matter and our own sort of history and relationship to that. And I think, Melissa, you'd be fine with me sharing that you are a Black woman and I'm a Black woman. So let's just dive into, I think my first question is, um, really, when were you first aware as an HR professional that race uh, really presented some challenges for most of corporate America? You know, I usually point to two things. One was when I was in graduate school. I was in a marketing class. And we were talking about The Cosby Show, which, you know, for those who may be younger and don't know The Cosby Show, it's an African-American family. Uh, The father is a doctor. Uh, The mother is a lawyer. Um, There are uh, either four or five children, but they're they're an affluent family. They're very well-to-do. And as we were having this roundtable discussion about The Cosby Show, someone said, well, it's not even realistic. Like, why do people even watch that? There aren't families like that. And I was like, so my dad is a doctor. My mom is an accounting professional and there are four children. My older brother is in med school. Here I am getting my MBA. And they were like, wow, really? So the revelation for me that people thought that such a thing did not exist was sort of one of those things where it was like, wow, wow. And this would have been in um, the late 80s, which it, I realized I just aged myself, but whatever. <laughs> we were doing such a great job, but I am right. with you in watching the Cosby show, not coming from a family like that, but still being aware that there are people like that. And that is the sort of realm to which I aspired at the time. And Absolutely. so just Absolutely. thinking about... Um, just, just, just really thinking about uh, how we are introduced to the world and how people view us mm-hmm. is uh, really interesting. Yes. So yes. I would love to kind of dive into how you were introduced to uh, the world in which you now, you are, you know, at the very top of your profession. Yes. And how, do you, how does that play out being a black You know what's woman? interesting? And, you know, everyone always talks about the um, glass ceiling. And it's funny because when you hit it, you can feel it. You know that other people that were on the same level as you have suddenly just motored by you. And so I was in a role at a company that had three levels of director. 
And I was at the second level of director. And I went to my boss and said, how do I get to that next level of director? And she said, the only way you can really get there is if you have an executive coach. So A, number one, we should note that I had peers who had been promoted to that next level director without having worked with an executive coach. Um, Two, um, she asked if I wanted to use her coach, which I politely declined. And I actually did say, you know what? In, In some ways, this is a real opportunity for me to get someone from the outside to come in and help me think about how I'm being seen and how I can get past this this next level. And so I actually reached out to um, the head of the ELC, mm-hmm. who I knew at the time, and I asked him to give me some referrals to executive coaches who were African-American women who had at some point worked in corporate America and could help me think about how to get beyond this space. And honestly, Carmen, it was an amazing year. It was an amazing journey. It was painful. It was enlightening. Um, But it did get me to that next director level. Uh, And uh, probably one of the greatest moments in that year was um, my executive coach went and talked to all of the C-suite, all of the direct reports to the CEO. And the message that she she brought back to me was, Melissa, they want to see more of you. They know that you can be strategic, but they also know that your head's down tactical. And so they're not able to get what they need from you and you need to pull up. I mean, that's sort of one of those things that is such a revelation. Right. And it, to me, it, it was that moment that made me say, I have to take the reins. I have to be the way I can be seen differently is to actually work differently. And there is a day when you recognize that and that is different from the day before. And it's completely different. And uh, I will tell you that as Black women, uh, it takes some time, I think way more time than uh, is required to even recognize that we need that help. And that once we get that help, that we are viewed in a very different way. Right. Um, And it's taken me probably longer than, than it should. Yeah. About a year after that promotion, I was having a conversation with that same executive coach. And I was saying, so outside of this organization, my peers are VPs and above. And I realized I don't really want to chase a title, but it feels some kind of way to me that they've all reached that that next level and I have not. Mm -hmm. And she said, you know, Melissa, there's going to be a point at which you have to decide do you stay here and continue to bump along where you are? Or do you take the opportunity to exit in order to boomerang up to the next level? And I I made the decision to exit. And the next opportunity that came to me was a VP of TA at McGraw-Hill. And it was an amazing learning opportunity. And the very next job after that is the job that I'm currently in. It's amazing. That's amazing. So I would love to know as a black woman walking into this role, it's been a year, more than a year. um, What have you experienced that you think probably no other person coming into this role would would have experienced? Yeah, so um, you you know, everyone knows that the uh, experiences of Memorial Day this year, um, the, the counter of George Floyd and Amy Cooper were just a moment in time that made me think 
differently, not just about how I show up at work, but how I use my platform. Mm -hmm. um, and I was asked by the head of DNI to partner with the Sable ERG, which is our Black uh, African American ERG here in the US. And what has been really heartwarming and uh, positive for me is I've helped them shape their strategy for the next two years by coming up with what we call the RAD strategy. What can they do to help with um, retention, um, talent acquisition, and uh, development? Mm -hmm. And we just came up with a three by three. What are the three things? And then we're driving those. And it's it's sort of one of those things where I'd never really engaged deeply with the, the employee resource group, thinking they don't really need me. They're good. They got that. Um, but what I heard was, you have a voice. You have a strong point of view. If you can come in and help us lead, you can really give some shape and form to how we're being seen in the org and the difference that we can make for the business. I love that. I am actually consulting uh, with uh, a recruiting team that has engaged with their uh, employee resource groups, uh, and they are trying to figure out how to connect with the rest of the organization. So I may come back to you offline to talk to you more about that because- You know I'm there for you, Carmen. Okay, awesome, awesome. <laughs> so I, I would love to, to, to hear a little bit about um, just your journey, how you mm -hmm. got to where you got to, but mm -hmm. also what were some of the bumps along the road and what yeah. would you give, what advice would you give to anyone else who may want to take that same journey and what to look yeah. out for when it comes to uh, racial equity? Right, right. So first I would say I was very fortunate in that my, uh, my father was not from the U.S. He was from Guyana in South America. So he had a very different perspective about what it was to be an African-American in the U.S., and so I think that I have this, I have this very different, I don't know, it's hugely different, but I have a different perspective of what I can do and what I'm capable of doing. Mm -hmm. My mom grew up in Baltimore um, and she used to say, when I say ghetto, I mean ghetto, but she got her MBA in the late fifties when African-American women weren't getting their MBA. So I have these two parents that were real role models around what you do. And these were two people that didn't accept um, I made a C, oops. And so when I went into the work world, I had this mentality of how do I continuously think about my growth and how I get to the next level? And if people look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see there was a period at which um, every two or three years, I would just chuck deuces and move on to the next company because I realized the, uh, they're not seeing my value. They're not going to promote me. So let me go somewhere where my value is seen. Right. Um, but I don't suggest that everyone do that jumping around because it doesn't always, it, it's, it's, it's something that you're going to have to explain, right? It's you have to have these really clear reasons about why you made these career moves. And for me, it's sort of been one of those things where um, I have not allowed my being a woman or my being an African-American woman to hold me back. 
I am not shy about sharing my opinion. Although I will tell you, there have been times when people have tried to put baby in a corner by saying, you know, <laughs> you're you're loud and you're always voicing your opinion and you know the the meeting will be quiet and you're throwing something in there and I'm like is is it that you don't think I should be sharing my opinion and I will tell you it it actually happened in the past 6 months uh and I went to um a, a, a white male peer of mine who was in that same meeting and he said Melissa you were absolutely right what you said was right, the way you said it was right, the, the, you should have called us on that point. So just pay no attention to that. And I was like, that's the kind of ally that you need in order to be able to use your voice, right? That's it, that's it, that's absolutely it. So um, I, uh, I am in the midst of uh, just working with clients all the time who um, now are much more aware of my race, I think, than even before because we're on Zoom versus right. being on the phone. Right. And so it's it's interesting just to spot. I am sharing my deepest, uh, you know, concerns about my organization with someone who is potentially different from me. Yeah. And so helping people understand there are ways in which I'm different, and there are ways in which what I experience is the same as what you experience has been uh, incredibly uh, eye opening for me in right. the last uh, few months. Just uh, just seeing the way that people respond to you. Yeah, so very early in my career, right out of grad school, I was working for a real estate developer in the DC area, and I was doing interviews for an executive administrator role. And I had already done phone screens with all of these people, and then I was having the top three candidates come in, do a face-to-face, and if that went well, I would send them upstairs to meet with the senior executive. So this lady comes in, and she's wearing Birkenstocks. (laughs) not done in the late no, 80s not in um, and she's wearing sort of a, a very casual dress and so I'm already I've got my left eyebrow up at her um, and I pick her up from the front desk and we're walking back to my office and she says to me as soon as she sits down you didn't sound black on the phone wow didn't I <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was one of those things where she didn't know what she said was incorrect right she just thought, you know, she was giving me some sort of a compliment um, and she didn't get to go upstairs. So I, I exited her and I went upstairs and I talked to the exec and she said, well, what happened with that last candidate? And I told her and she said to me, so I want to know that person's name because not only is she not getting this job, she's not getting a job at this company. So there was an a surprising advocacy and support that came out of that really odd conversation. Love that. Love that. As you think about advocating for African-American women, African-American men, what is what, what would you advise? Like, how should we ask for that kind of advocacy? Because um, I see it come across my desk in different ways. And there's sometimes when I am happy to do it. And sometimes when I'm going, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Here, here's the thing. Right now, we're getting asked all the time. Yes. And so we have to take advantage of the opportunity and lead our white allies in a way that helps them to know what to say and what to do. So whether it is sharing with them an article on white allyship, 
weathering it, whether it is, you know, sending them to YouTube to watch uncomfortable conversations with a black man where he breaks it down so that it might forever be broke, or it is just really having a conversation with them, helping them to see some of the microaggressions that happen every single day. And that the way we feel is this microaggression is the hundredth one this week. I get microaggressions in my personal life and my professional life. It happens all the time. So sometimes you might come at me and I'd be like, okay, that is the last draw. And I don't want you to take it that personally, but you have to see through my eyes what is actually happening. And what I found is as I've started having those kinds of conversations, they're, they're just aha moments for our allies. They're like, okay, I never realized. Ne- never, never quite got. I, I just, in, in thinking this week, um, having a conversation with someone and the fact that, uh, that I might experience something different from the way that they are, they have experienced it, just, it never crossed their mind. And yes. so uh, reminding people and helping people see and help, helping people understand um, yeah. and bringing more people into the fold to be able to help others, no matter their race. Exactly. This is what exactly. is important to me that I see now, that it has now become our problem and not just my problem. My problem. And so, so, Carmen, there's this one last thing that I want to talk through with you, which is we're getting ready to do um, a forum at my organization about black hair, mm-hmm. um, the history of black hair, um, what has happened to African American women as we have now had to be on camera all day, every day. Yes. And sort of this conversation around how different we feel about our hair than other races might. This is, oh, this is so completely close to me because I have, I have had every kind of hair that you can imagine in corporate America. Yes. Uh, And uh, I still don't, don't quite, I haven't settled into one thing. Uh, And um, I, I think it is something that we think about way more than anyone else thinks about until we show up in a way that we're uh, not expected to show up. Yes. Uh, and that's when the thinking starts to happen. Until then, it doesn't happen. Until then, no one has an opinion. Until they do have an opinion. Until yeah. they do go, oh my gosh, he's wearing an afro. Uh, right. And I have uh, worn everything from the big bushy afro to what I have now, which is the tight afro to right. I've done relaxers, I have done extensions, I've done all of those things. Some right. of it in the name of fun and just being myself and some of it in the name of I wonder if this will get me to work faster. I wonder if this will, okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm, what's the ease of use thing? What is the thing that will allow me to get up and just come and go? What What is that style? How do I get there? Right, <laughs> that is it. And, and, and some of it is in the name of just, you know, this is what I prefer, this is what I like, this yes. is what it is now, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so um, helping, walking your, uh, what it sounds like your entire, staff through this yeah that is going to be an interesting interesting play we're thinking about starting with a conversation around black hair 101 Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, and then moving into a conversation around you know madam cj walker and why she created the things that she created and how if you go back to the beginning in Africa, different hairstyles actually related to different tribes. Mm-hmm. And so 
making it okay in 2020 for an African-American woman to show up with braids, with natural hair, with what, that's where we have to get to. And we have to have the conversation out loud so that we can talk about how, how we get past this barrier. I will, I will, I will ask you to come back to me and just write me a little note. Just let me know how it goes and yes. what those discussions sound like. Because that sounds like uh, a a lot of fun and also a discussion that we haven't had in corporate America ever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So uh, I will um, curtail off our conversation. Uh, I just want to make sure that um, people know what's important to you. What's yeah. important to you in the midst of COVID? What's important to you in the midst of civil unrest? Yeah. What's important to you ahead of this election? Yeah. Uh, what's happening in your world? So first I would say everybody complete the census and vote. Those are my two messages. Do, do those two things. Next, I, I love being in a place where I can show up and be my whole self at work. Um, there have been... And, and I, you're nodding dramatically because we both know there have been times when you have to leave part of yourself at home so that you could be your professional corporate self at work. In 2020, when we're having all these great conversations to be able to show up and be who I am, 100% who I am, authentically who I am, I just, I, I so value that. It is such a place that we have been marching toward. So I applaud you. I am uh, here in your corner anytime you need me. Uh, and I want to hear what's happening behind the scenes. Just share a little bit. Uh, would love to hear that. And uh, I, I appreciate your being here, Career Crossroads. Appreciate your being here for this. And thank you for sharing with us this afternoon. You bet. Absolutely. Fun conversation. Fun conversation. We could go on. <laughs> Very cool. You're listening to Moments That Matter, a special CXR podcast series where leaders and talent professionals share their own experiences with varying aspects of discrimination and inequality. Here on Moments That Matter, we are dedicated to creating connected conversations around specific moments. These are Moments That Matter.